This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, Luke, for that ministry. That was great. Good to be with you today. It's a privilege to be here. Um, Thurman and I are pretty good friends, so um, I count it an honor to be able to be here while he's away. Uh, I retired just in December, and it's true. I have not visited a barbershop since I retired. That's all true. It's a spiritual thing. I want you to know that I'm under a strict Nazarite vow not to cut my hair. Actually, it's a hippie thing. <laughs> Child of the 70s, right? We, um, when I started pastoral ministry almost 40 years ago, uh, I started in a Baptist church. So I'm familiar with uh, Baptist culture and uh, where you're coming from and all of that good stuff. And then we backslid and became Presbyterians. I want you to know that. But here we are back at a uh, Baptist church. So it's good to be with you. Would you take your Bible, please, and find with me Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. When uh, Thurman asked me to preach today, when we were talking about it, I said, do you want me to continue in Luke or do something else? He said, do something else. I said, that's fine. He said, I'll just let you choose what you want. And then he got back to me and said, uh, actually, I'd like for you to do Luke 12 the passage about money. And I said, thanks a whole lot, man. I really appreciate that. So I want you to know this is his idea, not mine, all right? Luke 12 and verse 13, and I'm going to read through verse 31. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be then? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Or consider the lilies, 
how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Someone has cleverly observed where there's a will, there's a war. Perhaps you've seen it. It's certainly true that wills and inheritances have caused countless disputes in families. We want our fair share. And when we feel like we don't really get it, all kinds of ugly things can happen, can't they? People get downright mean when there's money and property involved. Have you noticed that? This is part of the sad human condition. It was the case in our Lord's time. Jesus knew it firsthand. And it would be funny if it, if it wasn't so sad. Think about it now. The creator of heaven and earth, in love and compassion, takes upon himself our humanity, comes into this world, teaching about God's rule, forgiving people. He talks about abundant life. He's healing folks from all kinds of maladies, even raising folks from the dead. And what, this, what is this guy in our passage preoccupied with? His share of the inheritance. That's what he's focused on. That's what he wants to think about. He wants his older brother to give him his fair share, and he wants Jesus to make sure that he does. In fact, he interrupts Jesus' sermon to insist on it. Now, I have to admit, when I read something like this, I take some comfort in the fact that even when Jesus preached, not everybody listened well. Jesus sees this, uh, this interruption as a kind of opportunity to do what he does best. He tells a story. He's good at that. We call them parables. They are stories that Jesus made up. Fiction. He made them up to make a point. You see, a story is a way to teach truth indirectly rather than head on. When you are challenging the status quo, sometimes you can do it more effectively if you come through the side door rather than the front door. And Jesus knew that. And the story he tells is about a successful farmer, a man who had a bumper crop year. This man would have been well-respected in his community. He was a hard worker. He was a planner, successful man. Perhaps he graduated from Virginia Tech with an agricultural degree. I know what that feels like. But for all of his success, for all of his enterprise, and all of his planting, Jesus says, this man is a fool. A fool. Now, that's a strong word, isn't it? A fool. It's a surprising word. It's a bit of a shocking word to call somebody a fool. And it's an interesting word. No, Jesus doesn't call him an evil man. He doesn't say he's a wicked man, but a fool. And then the parable, I think, and the teaching that follows unpacks what Jesus means by this word, fool. And I want us to think about it. And what he says, he says, not only to the younger brother who wanted his piece of the pie, what he says to us, I believe, he says to all of us, all the people here today in this sanctuary, 
He says it to you. He says it to me. People who are just as tempted to play the fool as this man. People who are just as tempted to live a fool's errand as this man. I believe that our Lord reveals two things about a fool's errand in this passage. And the first point, the first thing goes like this. A fool's errand replaces God. It seeks to be a substitute for God. It's foolish because it makes money and stuff and things and success the source of one's security. You understand that in the Bible, a fool is someone who lives without reference to the true God, and so thus he makes something else God that ends up bringing ruin. That's a fool in the Bible. Counterfeit gods always bring ruin. That's the way they work. The Lord introduces the parable by using a, issuing a warning. Look at verse 15. Here's his warning. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Now, my Bible, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I think you all use that here. It's in, at least it's in the pews. That phrase, take care, it, it's a little bit weak. It doesn't quite get it, I don't think, what Jesus means. What he really means is, watch out. <laughs> There's danger ahead, in other words. Watch out, be careful, be on your guard. And the danger is this, be on your guard against all covetousness. Now, that's a big, stuffed, fancy religious word, covetousness. We don't use that word much in common language. What does Jesus mean by covetousness? Well, I think he means this, and we do use, do use this word, and I think you'll understand it. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's the idea. Greed. Watch out. It's a danger. There's a real danger here. And then he clarifies what he means by greed. Keep reading there in verse 15. For one's life, here's what greed looks like, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the way greed works. It makes you think that is what life consists of. Now, I cannot think of a more un-American thing to say than what Jesus says here. I mean, downright unpatriotic. Life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions? You've got to be kidding me. Wall Street and Madison Avenue, Main Street, they all tell a different story, don't they? They all scream at us, do they not, a hundred times a day that life is indeed all about the abundance of stuff, what you can get. What you can sack away, what you can store up. More money, more stocks, more clothes, more cars, more phones, more computers, more houses, more video games, all of it. It all tells us, the whole advertising world tells us that's what life is all about. All of it tempts us to play the fool. To live as if the monopoly game of life is getting more and more and cross and go one more time to get another 200 bucks I can put away. That's the goal of it all. Now, let's not misunderstand what Jesus is saying or what the Bible is saying. Jesus is not saying that money and stuff and success are bad or evil things. Lots of people in the Bible, if you know your Bible a little bit, and I'm sure you do, Baptist church, you know your Bible. Lots of people in the Bible were well off, rich, had great abundance. Think of Abraham and Sarah, loaded with stuff. God blessed them richly. Think of Jacob, Abraham's son. And think of, how about the king Solomon? 
all that he had. Think of Job. These people had an abundance of things. So it's not that money and stuff and possessions are evil, but here's what Jesus is saying, my friend, and let God give us ears to hear. He is saying this, money and stuff are dangerous. That's what he's saying. Watch out. Watch out. It's dangerous. Even as God was blessing Israel and blessing the kings and blessing, I've been reading through Deuteronomy this year in my devotions, and how many times has God promised to bless them materially if they will follow him and be faithful and do like the song that Luke had us singing, not lift up their hand to another or lift up their hearts to another. If they follow the true God, he would bless them materially. Indeed, that's the case, but God also says this in Deuteronomy in chapter 17. He gives this prohibition to the king. He says to the king and every king of Israel, you shall not amass excessive amounts of gold and silver. Do you know why? Because they can become a kind of God themselves. That's what happens. You begin to kind of look that way, don't you? <laughs> that stuff will keep us safe. You know, if we got enough stored away, we're good. We're good. We're good. We got it. We got it covered. God knew that. It can replace God. Money and stuff and success can make us think that we're secure, that we're safe, that we're protected. We got the future covered. And listen, therefore, God is not really needed. We don't actually come out and say that, but we live like God is really not enough. If I got a million bucks saved for retirement, that's enough. But God, eh, okay, I tip my hat to him. But. Money has a way of stealing our hearts and stealing our devotion and stealing our faith. Now, let me issue a warning right here myself. Some of you are sitting out here thinking, I don't think Ruffin's talking to me today because I know a lot of people make a whole lot more than I do. You're missing the point Jesus is making. Jesus is not, pardon me, Jesus is not speaking to people who necessarily make a whole lot of money. It makes no difference whether you make 25000 a year, 50000 a year, 100000 a year, 200000 a, a half a million dollars a year. It makes no difference. That's not the point. The point is this. No matter what your income level is, no matter what my income level is, we are tempted to think that's going to give us rest and security. Are we not? That's the temptation. That's why Jesus says, be on your guard. That's why Jesus says, watch out. It can do it. And you understand, the, the people Jesus is speaking to here, they're not rich folks. They live from day to day. They don't have, listen, my friend, they don't have a tenth of what you have and I have. And yet it was still a problem, you see. So income level is not the issue here. Now, in the parable, the farmer has a great year. And so he doesn't have room to store all of his harvest. And so what he does is decide to build bigger barns to hold it all. His very abundance makes him feel immune from any threat 
Got to keep remembering to look up. We don't have a balcony where I used to preach, but I'm, I'm, I am talking to you guys up there too. His very abundance made him feel immune from any threat the future might propose. And so he thought his abundance promised him real, true rest. Look at verse 19. Here's what this farmer says. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Here's the word, relax. You have that word in your Bible? Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. That word relax means rest. Rest, kick back, you're good. This will protect you. Now what's fascinating to me, I had not seen this before and, uh, until I was working on the uh, sermon this week, so I, just so you know that I don't just pull them out of the hat somewhere, you know. Working on it, I saw this for the first time. This word rest is the word that the Bible uses in lots of different places to describe what God offers to his people. Rest. God promised that to Israel over and over, I'll give you rest. I'll be your security, your refuge. You can find your rest in me. You see what's going on here. This man, this successful farmer, <laughs> had begun to think that his rest was found where? Not in God, but in all of his abundance. You remember it was Jesus who said, come unto me and I will give you what? Rest. So you see how it's working. Greed produces a kind of counterfeit God. This is why the Apostle Paul, by the way, in Colossians chapter 3 says that greed is idolatry. Did you know that? That's the way he describes it. That's the way it works. It tempts us to play the fool, looking to it. And the man says, I'll eat and drink and be merry. Again, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking and being merry. I commend it. Every chance you get, you should do it. But there is something deeply wrong with thinking that money and stuff and abundance will give me the rest that I so want in life. And we all want it, don't we? Rest. A businessman had an angel come to visit him one night. Not a genie, but an angel. We're in church, there's gotta be an angel. And he promised to grant him one request. And the man requested a copy of the stock market page one year in the future. That'd be quite a, quite a thing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you like that? I know I would now that I'm retired. And he got that page, the angel granted him his request, he got that page and he's looking at it and he's studying it, he's getting so excited, he now knows where to invest all of his stuff and he's gonna be a rich dude one year from now. He's gonna have it made, he's gonna be set up for life, man. And as he was looking at the paper, he glanced across the page to another column and he saw his picture in the obituary section. And all of a sudden, all of the money and all of his plans just didn't glitter like it did before. That's kind of like our parable, isn't it? The very night the farmer planned to build bigger barns, God comes to him and he speaks to him. And look at what he says, verse 20, verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night, 
Your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be now? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, to live like money and things and success will give me my rest and security and protection is to live, let's be honest, friends, let's just give credit to what Jesus is saying, is to live a fool's errand. And it leads to ruin. If you think about it, it's really kind of crazy, isn't it, live like that? To be blunt, let me be blunt, since I'm a visiting speaker, it doesn't matter what I say. To be blunt, it's just plain long stupid to live like that. With no control, really, over the future. Greed is so alluring because it seems to calm our fears of all the uncertainties of life, but in the end, it ends up replacing God. Now, there's more. There's more here. And the second and final point I want you to see is this. A fool's errand not only replaces God, a fool's errand forgets God. Forgets God. It forgets God as our Father. It loses sight of the fact that God is our refuge and strength. It loses sight of the fact that God loves his children and will take care of them. That God is our security and he promises to be that for us, and it's not the stock market. I recently retired, as you know. I told you about that, and uh, my brother David told you about that too. And um, <clears throat> what we've discovered in retirement is that we check the stock market way too much. When you're getting ready to retire, you're retiring. I mean, and you, you don't have a paycheck, paycheck coming in anymore. And so this is where most of your money is. And so when the stock market's going up, it's going to be a good day. This is a good day. And the stock market drops 100 points, 300 points, 1,000 points. Mm, you feel it deep down. And I've discovered as a retiree that I worry way too much about the stock market. And I don't worry nearly enough about greed becoming another kind of God. I forget God, that he's promised to take care of his people. After telling this parable, Jesus goes on to explain it further in some direct teaching. Look at what he says here. Look at verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, and he said to his disciples, therefore, he's drawing a conclusion. He tells a story and he says, therefore, here's what I'm trying to get at, Jesus says. Do not be anxious about your life. Read that very slowly. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Do not be anxious about your life. Let me ask you this question. Can you imagine a more pertinent message for Americans today than this? Do not be anxious. Is it not true that anxiety is now a mark of this age? You and I live in an age of anxiety. I mean, you hear the stories just like I do. Young children, panic attacks. Teenagers, young families, parents, 
middle-aged, empty nesters, retirees. We are a culture, if anything, we are a culture, are we not chuck full of anxiety? Why is that the case? What's happened? Why is it so much on the rise and the increase? Why is the medication flying off the shelves to deal with anxiety? When I asked my wife this question this morning, she told me what she thought, and I think she was spot on. I think probably a lot of what's going on is this. When a culture moves further and further away from God, this is what you're going to get. This is what happens. We forget God as a society, as a nation. We're forgetting God, but, we're not, but we are remembering anxiety. But we remember that. It affects us deeply. God is meant to be our refuge and strength. And at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, the solution to anxiety, I believe, is found in what Jesus tells us right here. You got the solution here, I think, bottom line, folks. And he gives us two illustrations, birds and flowers. Birds and flowers. First, he considers the birds. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus is not speaking, is he, to 21st century Americans here. He's talking about wondering where your food is coming from. He feeds the birds. Most of us, I would dare say almost everybody in this room here today, you do not stay up at night wondering if you're going to have food tomorrow, do you? No. We worry about other stuff but not that. But that's the crowd Jesus is speaking to. It was a subsistence culture. They lived day to day. And food was an issue. And his point is this, if God feeds the birds, will he not take care of you, his children? You are of much more value than the birds. If he feeds them, won't he feed you if he's your father and he loves you? Anxiety forgets God. It forgets that we have a father who takes care of his children. It loses sight of his fatherly care. His second illustration is flowers. Look at verse 27. 27, consider the lilies, how they grow, he says. They neither toil nor spin, and I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Again, his point is this, it's similar. If God takes care of flowers, will he not take care of you? They don't have barns, they don't have to store away, and yet God provides for them. You are of much more value than flowers. God will take care of you if you trust him. It's interesting to me that Jesus brings up Solomon here. Not even Solomon, all of his glory. Solomon. There may be an illusion here. I think there is. A while back, I quoted from you Deuteronomy 17 when God said, The king is not to amass great amounts of gold and silver. Well, there were two other commandments given to the king back in Deuteronomy 17. And you know what they were? The first one was this The king is not to amass a large amount of horses. So the army gets bigger and bigger and better. Because when you have a lot of horses, what is the king tempted to do? Trust the horses rather than trust God. 
Nor, we are told in Deuteronomy 7, should the king amass a lot of wives. That makes a lot of sense to me, but in a different kind of way. I love my wife and that's enough. And the reason, he says, is this. Because the wives would turn the king's heart away from God. So not a lot of horses, not a lot of wives, and not a lot of gold and silver. Solomon, listen now, Solomon, the wisest man <laughs> we find in the Bible in some ways, at least at the beginning, Solomon broke all three. And it led to utter, complete what? Ruin. Solomon, the wise, stupid man, the wise, fool man, broke all three. And his kingdom was devastated and divided because he did exactly what Jesus says, do not do. We have a father who cares for his children and we are to trust him. Now, I resonate with both of these illustrations, birds and flowers. I love birds, I go birding, Corby loves birds. We went birding one time, one of your members here, Sunday school teacher, great respected guy in this church, no doubt. Corby and I, we love birds together. Um, Love to go birding. We just got back from Florida for two weeks. We did a lot of birding down there, my wife and I. A year ago, I brought, bought a camera to take pictures of birds, and I gave her a camera uh, this Christmas so she could go with me, so we could do it together. And so we're in Florida, and I, we count, I counted about 25 brand new species of birds I'd never seen before. We went all the way down to the Everglades. It was wonderful, except for the place we were staying. That was a dump. But anyway, <laughs> the birds were nice. So I love birds. Now, as I read what Jesus says here, here's what should be happening in my brain when I go birding, but it usually does not happen. Here's what I should be thinking when I'm taking pictures and seeing all these wonderful birds. I should be thinking to myself, look at these amazing creatures, how beautiful they are, and look how they're foraging and God is feeding them. If God can feed them, will he not take care of you, Ruffin? I should be thinking that but most of the times I'm not. I'm going, is that a good picture? Is that a good picture? Is that a good picture? <laughs> well, think about flowers. He brings up flowers. I love flowers too. This past week, <clears throat> this is what you get to do in your retirement. My wife and I were cleaning out our iris bed, down on our hands and knees. After 30 minutes, we came to this conclusion. We are too old for this. This hurts. My back hurts. I love irises, but dang, these weeds, man. They're going to start blooming in a few weeks. They'll be gorgeous. I love an iris. And every time I see an iris, I should be thinking this. Look at the spectacular blue beauty and splendor of this flower. This is amazing. If God can do this, won't he take care of you, Ruffin? Birds and flowers, you see them everywhere you go, don't you? We just keep looking and look right past them. And there they are, preaching a sermon to you every day, every day, if we have ears to hear. Greed forgets 
God and tempts us to play the fool. And then Jesus concludes with verses 30 and 31. Look at verse 30, and then I'm done. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. By the word nations, Jesus means all the Gentiles, all the people who don't have God as their father. This is the way they live. This is what they run after. And your father knows that you need them. Here it is, verse 31. Instead, seek his what? Kingdom. Matthew says, seek first his kingdom. I think that's Luke's intent here. Seek his kingdom, and then these things will be what? Added to you. God will give them to you. Put first things first. To live anxiously, fretting, lots of anxiety, is to live like someone who does not have a God, a father. It's to forget God and who he is. Jesus says, don't do that. Seek God's kingdom. That is, pursue what it means to know him. Understand on a deeper and deeper level, Christian, if you've been a Christian for some year, learn and understand more and more all that God is and all that he promises to be for you in his son, Jesus. Get a hold of that and grow in that. Pursue that and understand what it means to represent him in the world. And then grow in your your ability to trust him to be your rest and your security. Come hell or high water, I have a father who loves me. And rest in that. That's what Jesus is. Did you know that Jesus talked a lot about money. This always strikes me whenever I read it. I mean, if you count up all the parables, and there are over 30 parables in the the Gospels. Did you know that? Did you know that fully one-third of them, at least 10 of them, deal with money? That surprises me. I'd have thought maybe sex. Nope, money. Parenting. Nope, money. Marriage. That's a big problem. Nope, money. One-third of them, 33% with this thing we've been talking about here today that makes us all squirm a little bit. Why does Jesus talk so much about money? He got a problem with money? No. He doesn't have a problem with money. He knows us, doesn't he? He knows our hearts. He knows the human condition. Jesus knows this about us. He knows nothing touches us more profoundly, nothing touches us more deeply than this topic. Nothing has so much potential, my friend, to bless us or to curse us than this topic. So let us not hear God say today, you fool. Rather, let us hear God say today, seek first my kingdom, and I promise you, my child, I will give you what you need. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Christ,
These are your words that you spoke and still are speaking to us. Help us to resist putting up walls with this subject. Help us, as Luke led us to saying, to surrender, to give our lives to you because we are not our own. We belong to you and all that we have does. We release it all into your care. And Lord Christ, we want to run after you and who you are for us. In your great name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 